Oh, well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses, uh, well, chapter 10, verse 23 through chapter 11, verse 1 this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. That's page 900 in the Pew Bible there. If you don't have your Bible, you can turn to page 900 in the Pew Bible and follow along there. Indian guru Osho says, Life is a cosmic play, a continuous beautiful game, a beautiful hide-and-seek, not leading anywhere. Nowhere is the goal. In other words, that uh, life is ultimately purposeless. Now the problem with that is that uh, God did not wire us to think that life is purposeless. Indeed, God wired us with a purpose. We have a purpose. And so because God has wired us to have a purpose... We seek purpose in life. That's why we often ask that question, especially as we're, we're young, as we're coming up, as we uh, you know, graduate high school and start into college and, and on down the road. We're looking for our purpose in life, and people struggle sometimes their entire lives to find purpose in life. Why? Because God has wired us for purpose. He has wired us to have a purpose. He has given us a purpose. And we are just here trying to figure that out. Now the problem for us most often is that we, we, we try to find our purpose in all the wrong places. We look for purpose in things like our career, our job path. Or we find it in family. We find our purpose in friends or the things of this world. We look for purpose around us in in this world of material things. That's our problem. We're, We're looking in all the wrong places for purpose but scripture tells us as it is often summed up or as well summed up in the Westminster Shorter Catechism that our ultimate purpose in life our God-given purpose in life and all of us have the same God-given purpose in life and that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever And that's the exact lesson that we learn in our text today. Our purpose in life is to glorify God. We are to live for the glory of God. Live, dear friend, for the glory of God. If you want to discover your purpose in life, that's it. Live for the glory of God. If you live your life for the glory of God, you will fulfill fill your God-given purpose in life no matter what else you do in in life no matter your career no matter your job no matter what no matter your family situation no matter what if you live for the glory of God you will fulfill your lifelong purpose your God-given purpose 
So today I want us to learn to live for the glory of God by considering three keys that we find in our text to living for God's glory. Now as we've been working through 1 Corinthians here, last week we, we talked about idolatry, the truth of idolatry. And that's the section here that Paul is, is writing in this letter, the section of the letter in which we are in at this point in time. Paul is focusing in on idolatry because there's some idolatry seeping into this church in, in Corinth, first century Corinth. And so he, is addressed, he has been addressing idolatry. He's still addressing idolatry. Last week we looked at the truth of idolatry. Idolatry is inconsistent with Christianity. It's demonic and it's offensive to God. Now in contrast to that, we are to live for the glory of God. So Paul wants to point that out to us and work that out for us. How do we live for the glory of God? And that's what he wants to do today in the text that we are looking at. So if you found your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you aren't disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising questions, any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered, to, offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thanks, thankfulness, why am, I dis, why am I denounced because of what, because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks, or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word, and may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Now, as we, we look at this text this morning, I want us to point out, first of all, that the main proposition in these two paragraphs that we're in, the main proposition is in verse 31, and that is to live for God's glory. Look what he says there, verse 31. So, right? Circle that if you write in your Bible. Circle that so. So are therefore. It, it indicates an inference. And so if we put therefore in the text, 
If we translate that so as therefore, then uh, we we have this lesson in Bible study. You've probably heard that before. If you see a therefore, you've got to go back to see what it's there for. Uh, That's that's what we're doing here. Uh, He's indicating an inference. So he says, based on what I just said, do this. And, And so what does he say? He says, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And so that's his main proposition. That's his main point in these two paragraphs, to live for the glory of God. And then he goes on after that to add a little bit more to his argument. So that's our main proposition in this text. We are to live for God's glory. Now, how do we live for God's glory? What does that look like in our life as we go outside the church and as our life in the church? What does that look like, living for the glory of God? What does that look like? Day after day, day after day. Well, Paul gives us some indication of that. So now let's go back to the beginning of our text. And the the first uh, key here to living for the glory of God is to put others first. Put others first. Again there, look at that verse 23. All things are lawful. He's again, he's giving this, we've seen this before in 1 Corinthians. He's giving this slogan that the Corinthian church is using. All things are lawful for me. I'm in Christ. All things are lawful. What does it matter if I go to the temple and, 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 and worship and, and, and participate in the feast there and, and eat of the meat sacrificed to idols? I'm in Christ. All things are lawful. But Paul says all things are lawful, right? We're free in Christ, certainly. But not all things are helpful. Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Not all things build up. And and so Paul's mind here is, yeah, you're looking at, at your freedom in Christ, but you're not stopping to ask, how can I help my brother? What action am I going to do that will lift up my brother or sister in Christ? What action of my life can I can I use to to build someone else up? You're focused on yourself, and you're not asking, but what is better for my brother? What is better for my sister in Christ? We're to look to things that that build up. And so he says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now there's the, the first imperative that we come across. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. That's what he's, he's getting at. Uh, don't, don't put yourself first. That's what these Corinthian brothers are doing. They're putting themselves first. They're exalting their, their freedom in Christ to, to do what they want to do, but they don't have a mind towards their brother and sister. They don't have a mind uh, to others and what's better for them. They, they kind of got this attitude, so what? So what if it, it, it makes my brother and sister stumble in Christ? So that they should just, just get on up it, with it and, and get some maturity about them and, and live free in Christ like I'm doing. So what if it messes them up? Paul said, that's the wrong attitude to have. That's a selfish, self-righteous attitude. And, and that is not for the benefit of the church, and that's not for the glory of God. 
If we want to glorify God with our lives, then the first step there is to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what Paul is getting at here. We're to love our neighbor, care for our neighbor, put our neighbor's interests ahead of our own. He states it like this in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Y'all know this verse, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in a full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Then he gets to the real point. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Christ did not put himself first, did he? He did not put himself first. In fact, he humbled himself. He put aside his own interest. He humbled himself, and he came and he lived on this earth. He took on our form. God became a man. And for our sake, he went to Calvary's cross, and he died on Calvary's cross for us. And we're to follow that example. We're not to look to our own interests first. We're to seek the benefit of our brother or sister first. We're to love them and, and, and seek ways to live to build one another up. We're to put others first. We're to love others first. That means sacrificing for the good of others. Let me ask you, when was the last time you sacrificed, sacrificed your own liberty, sacrificed your own good, sacrificed your own benefit for the benefit of someone else? I want you to think about that. When was the last time you sacrificed for someone else's benefit? Yet that is the lifestyle Christians are supposed to live. We're to sacrifice our own good for the good of others. We're to love our neighbor, and he shows us that. He says, it goes on there, eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Now, we think about that, and we, we, if you remember how we've gotten here, we, we understand what he's talking about here. There are those who are are going to the temple, and, and they're eating meat sacrificed to these idols. And, and so there's this question, should we eat meat sacrificed to idols, 
are not eat the meat sacrificed to idols. There's that conflict in this church, in the Corinthian church. To eat or not to eat. And, and he says, you know, if you're going down to the, the meat market, he says, don't give any idea to it. Don't give any thought to it. Just buy whatever's there. Because, you know, some of the priests of the, of the temples, the idolatrous temples, they would take some of the meat and they would sacrifice it and they would have their little feast there. But, but then they would kind of keep a portion for themselves. That was kind of how they got paid. They would keep a portion for themselves, the portion of that meat sacrificed to the idol, and they would take it down to the market and sell it and they would make a living off of that. Well, there is that question here. Should we eat meat if it's sold in the marketplace that was offered to idols? And Paul says, don't worry about it. If it's in the market, don't, don't give a thought to it. Don't, don't think anything about it. Eat whatever's sold in the market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Don't let it bother your conscience. For, and he quotes Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That meat is from the Lord. Idols are nothing. Remember he said a few a few chapters back, he, and the idols are nothing. So if, if the meat is there at the marketplace, don't give any thought about it, eat the meat. Take it home, cook it up, eat it, don't worry about it. Now he told us last week, he, we looked at that last paragraph last week, and, and he said, stay out of the temple, don't go to the temple and party with your friends, offering meat to idols and all of that. Forget that, you need to distance yourself from idolatry. Don't do that. But if it's in the marketplace, don't give a thought to it. Just buy the meat and eat it. If anyone of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go. Now, that's dinner at their house, right? He's not to the temple, but if they invite you home to eat and you're disposed to go, well, don't think anything about it. Don't raise any questions on you know, whatever's set before you there. Don't, don't question it. Whatever meat is set before you, you just eat it and don't, don't worry about it. Don't give offense to asking, you know, where'd you get the meat and all that kind of stuff. Don't worry about it. So just eat the meat if it's set before you. But look what he says there. But if someone says to you, verse 28, this has been sacrificed, this has been offered in sacrifice, then... Do not eat the meat for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I denounced? Because of that which I give thanks. In other words, it's nothing against my conscience if I eat this meat. But what about this brother who obviously it's bothering his conscience? Because he told me, right? He, he's raised the, the issue. Hey, hey, this meat's been offered to idols. We shouldn't eat it. And Paul says, if that's the case, don't eat the meat. Don't eat the meat. Not because you're going to be condemned by, not because it's a sinful thing to do, but your brother, he's obviously struggling with this. He's not there yet. But instead of saying, well, you should be more mature than that, and, and come on, we're going to eat. No, no, don't do that. Just don't eat the meat. Yeah, you can, you can work with them later on. You can kind of help them grow in Christ and, and show them, well, you know, meat is nothing, and, and we can eat it and not have to worry about it. But 
Not th- that's not the time and the place, right? Don't offend your brother. If, if he has a problem with it, if it bothers his conscience, then the better thing to do here is to sacrifice your liberty for the benefit of your brother. Don't make him stumble over your liberty. So we should be putting other people first. We should be thinking about our neighbor first, putting their good ahead of our own because we don't want to cause someone to stumble. We want them to grow in Christ at the speed that God is growing them. So don't allow them to stumble over your liberty in Christ. I was trying to think of some ways this pertains to to our life and of course the the immediate thing of course is alcohol and we've talked about that before if you know we're free in christ to drink alcohol as long as we don't get drunk that's the the mandate in scripture don't drink to get drunk don't don't do things in excess so if you you want to drink in christ uh you're you have that liberty but if it causes someone to stumble well then now you don't have that liberty you should you should sacrifice that liberty for the sake of your brother or sister in Christ. Leave that alone. What, what's the benefit of that? You can also think about you know, certain business practices. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a business person, but uh, maybe there's some business practices that, that you've grown up and you've just always done it this way. But, but then you have a co-worker who comes along. It's like, I just don't know about this, right? I just, it's kind of... I don't know. Well, then guess what? Maybe you should sacrifice doing it that way and and do it another way until they can kind of work it out. So whatever it may be, if, if you have a brother and sister in Christ, they're coming to you and saying, I'm struggling with this issue. Well, then don't do that. Just quit doing that. Help them walk through it. Help them figure it out. And maybe you'll learn something along the way, and maybe you'll figure out, well, that was kind of a simple thing to do, and I just need to quit doing that anyway, right? So, so just don't do it, and then kind of work through that with them for their benefit, for their building up. It is better to sacrifice our own wants, our own desires, our own way of doing things even if it benefits someone else and builds them up in Christ. So we're to put others first, and we're to love our neighbor even as ourselves. But then we see also that this, in that, right, loving our neighbor, in loving our neighbor, there is a connection to actually loving God. That's why we see Paul saying there, making that inference, therefore, so, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There is a connection because of that. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to put our neighbor's benefit above our own because we're to love God. There's an intimate connection between loving God and loving others. That's why Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says the the first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a second is like it. It's like it. It, It's it's connected to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
You, you can't hardly have one without the other. You just can't. They're connected. To love God is to love others. John says it like this, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 through 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You can't love God and not love your brother or sister in Christ. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. It just doesn't work like that. If you love God, you love those whom God loves. Let me put it like this. If you love me, you love those whom I love. Don't come up here and say, you love me, but then be mean to my wife. Don't come here and say, you love me, and then be mean to my daughter. Because we're going to have problems. Right? You don't love me if you don't love those whom I love. Period. And God says the same thing. If you love me, you love those whom I love. And so we're called as followers of Jesus Christ to put others first. If we want to glorify God with our lives, then we must love God and love others. We glorify God by putting others first, by putting their, own, their good above and beyond our own good. That's the key to glorifying God with our lives. So if you want to glorify God with your life, then put others first. Put other people's good ahead of your own. Second, if you're going to love God, if you're going to live for the glory of God, seek to save the lost. Seek to save the lost. Pick up there in verse 32. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that, but that of many that they may be saved. So I don't, treat, I don't seek my own advantage, but I seek the advantage of many that they may be saved. Paul's already talked about this, right? To the weak, I become weak. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. I do thanks, all things for all people so that by all means I may save some. That's the purpose. We, we make sacrifices. We do things. We do that to save some. To see people saved. To see people come to know Christ. Jesus says, the Son of Man came to 
seeking to save the lost. That's what he came here for. He, he stepped out of glory. He came to this world to seek and save the lost. So if we're followers of Christ, if we're doing what Christ does, then our mission is to seek and save the lost. That's why when Jesus left this world, he told the church, go, make disciples, go, seek to save the lost. That's our mission. That's our goal as the people of God, as the people of Christ, is to seek to save the lost. So we go to seek to save the lost. Now Paul puts it like this, give no offense to Jew or to Greek or to the church of God. Give no offense. Don't offend. Now we need to understand something here because this, is, this verse has been misunderstood. When Paul says, give no offense, he's saying that in the understanding that the gospel does offend. Right? The gospel does offend, and we need to understand that. There's a lot of Christians today that they, they begin to try to water down the gospel because we're not to offend. And so let's water down the gospel so that the gospel doesn't offend. No, no, no. That's not the way it goes. The gospel offends. The gospel is offensive to a lost world. As Paul said back there in chapter 1, the gospel is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they will certainly persecute you. Why? Because the gospel is offensive. You begin to tell people, hey, you are lost. You are a sinner. You deserve God's wrath. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, down here to live and to die for you so that you can be saved in Him. That is offensive to a lost and dying world. What do you mean I'm lost? What business is it, what business is it of God how I live my life? Who is He to send me to hell? What's wrong with the way I live? I don't need Jesus to do anything for me. If I need saving, I can do it myself. You see, the gospel is offensive to a lost world. It is offensive. That's why the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they sent him to the cross because his message offended them. He told them that they were a, a, a den of vipers, right? Woe to the Pharisee. It offended them when he addressed their sin. It offended them when, they, when Jesus said, you can't save yourself. You need God's grace. It offended. And the gospel is offensive. It is a stone of stumbling, the Old Testament tells us. So we need to understand that the gospel itself is offensive. But... What Paul is getting at here, when Paul says, give no offense, he's saying with your life, with your own attitude, with your attitude, the way you interact with people, uh, our, our life should not be offensive. Our demeanor should not be offensive to other people. And I've seen some Christians that that's not been the case. There are ways that we can minister, if you will, to the lost world in an offensive way. Instead of out of love, out of charity, 
we can come across offensive by our own attitudes, by our own actions. I can remember back when I was a teenager, I was into hair metal. Still kind of like to listen to hair metal. Uh, it's just kind of what I listened to as a kid, right? So I, I enjoyed hair metal, and back in those days, you could go to a rock concert for 40 bucks, like 20 $20 for a ticket, $20 for a t-shirt. Hey, that was a good weekend. And so I, as a teenager, young adult, I went to a lot of concerts. Uh, I can remember, though, my first concert. My first concert. In fact, it was down here at uh, the Civic Center in Monroe. And me and my friends, we loaded up. We drove down to Monroe, and we got out of the car there to go to this rock concert. And uh, we got out of the car, and I noticed there was a, a group of Christians there, a church group. And, and they were out, and they had signs and all that. Like, my first thought was like, hey, that's pretty cool. They're out here witnessing to people as they're standing in line. That's, that's cool. But then as I got up there, and they approached, man, they were offensive. They were not doing it in a loving way. Uh, their approach was, if you go into that concert, you're going to hell. See, that's not loving. I, as a Christian, I was offended at their attitude, at their demeanor. It was offensive. And Paul says, don't be offensive. Don't offend non-believers so that they want nothing to do with you. Yes, the gospel offends. Let the gospel offend. Tell, speak the truth, but in love. Don't offend with your attitude. Don't offend with your demeanor. Don't offend with, with your words. And you know, putting the gospel out there in the wrong way. Another example, we, we have a friend of ours, an acquaintance, who grew up and he was abused as a child and he, he grew up and he kind of went into the homosexual lifestyle, the transgender lifestyle. He, he was cross-dressing and all of those things and, and he had some people in his life who were loving and they ministered to him and they spoke truth and love and, and they, they tried to witness to him and then he had others in his life who, you're going to hell! You know, not loving, you're going to hell, right? But by the grace of God, one of those loving friends in his life invited him, why don't you just go to church with me? And so he, he gave in and he went to church with this, this guy and, and that day at church, he heard the gospel and it penetrated his heart. God opened up that hard rock heart of his and, and and gave him a heart of flesh and he received the gospel and his life was transformed and immediately he was brought out of that lifestyle not because someone said you're going to hell but because god's grace opened his heart and transformed him and you know today because of his background, now he still goes to some of these pride parades and stuff, but not as a participant, but as a witness of Jesus Christ. And he goes in, not you're going to hell. He goes in, you know what, I was where you are, 
but God saved me. He changed my life. Can I tell you my story? You see the difference in demeanor? Yes, the gospel is offensive, but how we approach the gospel, how we present the gospel, how we, uh, how we communicate the love of Jesus Christ, it doesn't have to be offensive. We need to be careful how we act towards other people. Not to give offense, but doing everything that we can to save some. To save some. We're to seek the lost. We're to seek to save the lost with our lives. Doing whatever it takes to speak the truth in love so that God can do the work of transforming their hearts and bringing them to Christ. Set aside prideful attitudes of the world. Right? Set aside prideful attitudes of the world because this is countercultural to the world, right? The world says, oh, well, if you don't like who I am, well, that's your problem. Just deal with it. But as Christians, we're to be countercultural. We're to be countercultural. We're to change our attitude. We're to change our demeanor. We have to, a demeanor of love, an attitude of love towards others so that we can seek to save the lost. Set aside prideful attitudes. Humble yourself so that you may intentionally, so that you may not intentionally offend, but so that you can seek to save the lost. Glorify God with your life. By seeking to save the lost. If you're going to live for God's glory, you've got to put others first. You've got to seek to save the lost. And finally, you have to imitate Christ. Imitate Christ. Now, chapter 1, verse 1. Now, this is a good example for us to understand that the Word of God is inspired and inerrant, but the chapters and verse divisions are not. Right, those chapters and verse, the, uh, verse the, uh, divisions were added much later. The disciples did not write those in there. They were written much later, and here's a case where those who put those in got it wrong uh, because this last little line there is, is an ending point. It's the last sentence of that other paragraph, that paragraph in, verse, in chapter 10. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says, imitate me. He's giving himself as an example, and, and thus a, a spiritual leader should be able to be an example. Uh, an, an elder is to be above reproach. Not that he's perfect, not that he's perfect, but that he can give his life as an example and that's what paul says be imitators of me be imitators of me but he's saying not in everything i do paul understood he was a sinner be imitators of me as you got to finish the sentence as i imitate christ don't, don't don't imitate me when i'm not imitating christ but imitate me as i imitate christ that's what we're called to be as Christians, isn't it? That's what the name implies. Christian is to be Christ-like, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To say you're Christian is to say, I am following 
Jesus' footsteps. I am imitating Him. I want my life to be like His life, so I'm going to listen to His teaching, listen to His instruction, and I'm going to follow His way of life. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to, to imitate Christ. That's our goal. We want to imitate Christ in all that we do. And what does Jesus say? Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are to imitate Christ, not seeking to serve ourselves, not seeking to serve self-interest, but seeking to put others first so that others may be drawn to Christ, so that others may know Christ, come to a saving knowledge of Christ. We're to follow in Jesus' footsteps and imitate Him. Love that old hymn. Let others see Jesus in you while passing through this world of sin and others your life shall view be clean and pure without within let others see jesus in you sing it with me let others see jesus in you let others see jesus in you keep telling the story be faithful and true let others see Jesus in you. Glorify God with your life by imitating Christ. Let me ask you, dear friend, do you want your life to mean something? Do you want it to have true purpose? Then live for the glory of God. In every part of your life, live for the glory of God. At school, live for the glory of God. At work, live for the glory of God. As you're driving down the road and that person cuts you off in traffic, live for the glory of God. With family and with friends, live for the glory of God. Shopping down at the mall or fishing up on the lake, live for the glory of God. Live for the glory of God by putting other people first, by seeking to save the lost, and by imitating Jesus Christ, our Lord. But you know, the first step in living for the glory of God is to trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you can never glorify God with your life. 
If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you've never trusted in Christ, put your faith in Christ, you will never glorify and honor God because you are living in rebellion to the will of God. But today, you can start glorifying God with your life if you'll only surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Trust that He died for you. He paid the penalty of sin in your place so that you might have life in Him. Trust in Him. He will save you. He will give you a new life, a transformed life, a life that, that wants to live in obedience to the will of God, a life that wants to glorify God with your life. If you'll only trust in Jesus, will you trust in him today? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this word. And Lord, we know we are sinners. Each and every one of us here, Lord, we're sinners. And Lord, we, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we fall short in so many ways of honoring you and glorifying you. But Lord, we want to. We want to. We want to be able to put others first. We want to have that desire. We want to be able to do that, Lord. We, we want to, to, to seek to save the lost with our lives. And sometimes, Lord, we let fear hinder that. We, we want to imitate Christ. But, Lord, we need your Spirit working in us. And, Lord, we just confess today as a church, we confess our weakness and pray for your strength. Lord, let us. Help us to glorify you and honor you with our lives. And Lord, I do pray if there is anyone who does not know you, who's here in this place or who's watching on live stream or hearing the podcast or, or whatever, it, wherever it may be, Lord, if they don't know you, then Lord, I pray that you would pierce their hearts and transform their lives. Let them see Jesus. Let them see Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.